The problem is that neither determinism nor randomness, nor any combination of the two, justifies the feeling that most people have that goes by the name of free will. Free will, free will. The feeling that they're free to think and do more or less whatever they want, whatever they want, whatever they want. in the present in a way that allows them to be something other than a mere concatenation of causes, mere concatenation of causes. or mysterious influences. With respect to free will, it amounts to this. Most people feel that the conscious part of their minds, the one that is experiencing their experience, thinking their thoughts, feeling their feelings, is in control of their mental life and behavior in, control, in, control. in some real way. They feel that they are the source of their intentions and actions. Not merely that these mental and physical states are arising in their bodies, somehow, but that they are initiated by their conscious minds in some way. The experiential you, the conscious witness of your inner life, the one who's hearing these words right now, you aren't the author of your thoughts, intentions, and actions. Rather, thoughts, intentions, and subsequent actions simply arise, simply arise and are noticed. But if you pay attention to how thoughts arise, you'll see that they simply appear, quite literally out of nowhere. Quite literally, literally out of nowhere. Literally, 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 literally. Everything is just happening, including your thoughts and intentions and desires and most deliberate actions. Everything is just happening on its own. Everything is just happening. Choices, reasoning, discipline, all of these things play obvious roles in our lives, despite the fact that they're determined by prior causes. Determined by prior causes. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone this is part two of my conversation with eric about sam harris's final thoughts on free will Enjoy. Um, is it even worth? Is it even a question worth asking? Because the the presumptions of free will usually um, come from an over identification with conscious the conscious part of myself. Yeah, but and that's where yeah. I think that what he's doing is is super valuable to to highlight that difference between the smaller you and the bigger you, and that there is a much bigger thing going on that we really don't know very much about, but it knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have to worry about beating my heart. It's happening. I do have to worry about what I eat to, you know, like raise my cholesterol or high blood pressure, if I'm going to get type two di- diabetes or something like that. Um, but you know, any, anyway, let's go on to the next clip here, Eric. What do you, what do you think about okay. that? Yeah. Yeah. 
The problem is that neither determinism nor randomness, nor any combination of the two, justifies the feeling that most people have that goes by the name of free will. The feeling that they're free to think and do more or less whatever they want in the present, in a way that allows them to be something other than a mere concatenation of causes or mysterious influences. I think we've kind of talked about that clip. Yeah, I think we, yeah, I think so um, too. Yeah, that, that, uh, this, this idea that, um, I, I think what he's saying there is that people don't really take into consideration that there's this whole mysterious part of nature that is determined, predetermined before it comes into our conscious awareness. We just don't, we don't, we don't stop to think about that kind of stuff. We take it for granted. I, that's, that's what I take away mainly from what he's saying there. Yeah, no, absolutely. With respect to free will, it amounts to this. Most people feel that the conscious part of their minds, the one that is experiencing their experience, thinking their thoughts, feeling their feelings, is in control of their mental life and behavior in some real way. They feel that they are the source of their intentions and actions, not merely that these mental and physical states are arising in their bodies somehow, but that they are initiated by their conscious minds in some way. Yeah. And we've talked about that too, but I, I, I think our, our discussion that we've had up to this point might make it a little easier to understand what he's saying there, at least more than the first time that I heard it. And I had to really do some work to understand what he was talking about. So, so what, what did, what did you hear him say there, Eric? I think what I, what I heard him say is again, he's kind of going back to, um, this idea that we we over and i just accused him of doing the same thing but we over identify with that conscious self um and we we superimpose the conception of free will on strictly that maybe 10 percent of who we are that is conscious if that if that yeah Yeah. no i think that's a very valid thing i would i would be really interested to follow up with i would love to ask him the question of and again, getting back into Jung, who who is very much into communicating with your subconscious, and um, Jung um, used symbol sets, um, you know, and archetypes, things of that nature, as a way of communicating with that subconscious. And this is where I get to the point of maybe I do believe in a, a type of free will, which is if you can get in line with the maybe ninety five to ninety nine percent of yourself that isn't conscious. Um, using you know some of those the methods that were outlined in um either dream analysis um uh, young has a couple others I, I think that you are closer to becoming free i do like what he is saying and you already touched on this he is pointing out the fact that we do tend to overemphasize or over identify with the conscious self and if we look at societally the way we've structured ourselves from uh, again our legal our legal system and i like when he goes into kind of picking apart some of the the need for retribution um it doesn't make much sense to to have such a limited concept of free will um be based on that conscious self yeah um he he does later in the in the episode. I don't know if you have the clip for it when he was talking about um, uh, what's the word? Their free will compatibilists, I, I believe, is the term he used. People who believe that free will is still compatible with 
Um, I didn't bring in any of those clips. No. Okay, yeah, yeah. When he's talking about free will being compatible with determinism, and I think that's kind of the argument that the compatibilists would make, and maybe that makes me a compatibilist. Um, so I, I hmm. yeah, it is. It, it's interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, I, I did want to kind of like follow up on that though, just to kind of give it a little back to the Mormon spin a bit. Does this, the, the way he's talking about it, it almost seems anathema to what I was raised to believe, you know, about free will, or do you find it's kind of in line with what you were raised to believe with, um, with uh, free agency, that whatever that, that kind of no paradigm? No, I don't think it's in line with that. I, you know, I mean, what what I think he just said, he was talking about that the, the conscious experience of reality is so small compared to what's actually going on. And we think that we are controlling our, our mind, controlling our brain, controlling our nervous system. And really it's controlling us. It, it, it we, it's, it's the, what, what, what's the, the apple in the cart or the horse in the cart or the donkey in the heart I, it's I, the I dog in the cart um dog, dog? is it a dog in a cart Wh whichever the, yeah yeah <laughs> i i understand what you're talking yeah, about <laughs> what, what what i butchered the dog in the cart <laughs> and the apples <laughs> <laughs> um but but basically that it's our our unconscious mind that's in charge not our conscious mind and that our conscious mind really isn't doing much to our unconscious mind and that is so contrary to what i'm learning um to be a therapist and to you know the, the book inner size which is all about understanding your brain and understanding the relationship between your subconscious and your conscious brain and understanding why it is so hard to develop new habits and what some of the skills are that you can do to strengthen your brain capacity um, instead of having it be atrophied that's why it's called inner size instead of exercise it's it's how do you get your brain in shape and there's there's things that you can do like meditation, like mindfulness that can, can give you greater powers of focus and attention and creativity and all kinds of things. So, so to suggest that, that there aren't things that the conscious self can do to um, influence that, that unconscious mind, even to let go of a lot of the limiting beliefs and the stories that we carry in our subconscious mind that come out as, as projection onto other people. You know, you, you, you want to understand your subconscious mind, start paying attention to the thoughts that you're thinking about other people. That's coming from your subconscious mind. That's a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, that's probably where I take most issue with what he's saying is it's so contrary to the field that I'm going into <laughs> um, as, as a therapist to become a therapist um, to think that people don't have any control and, and can't, um, if they're feeling overwhelmed by fear or anxiety, that there isn't anything that they can do about that, except maybe take medication and then have your deterministic causal stuff by chemicals. <laughs> um, that's a problem. That's a problem for me. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I push back on this the way that I do, because it's contrary to my lived experience, the way that I've been able to get, talk myself off of the cliff, um, to put it bluntly sometimes and really have some kind of control over my own peace of mind. 
Yeah, and I find it interesting that he himself advocates things like mindfulness. Um, and I, I sit there and I'm like, well, why do you advocate mindfulness if you don't think it can have some kind of impact on the decisions that will be potentially made? Um, and I, I don't necessarily, because I'm reading Intersize as well, I don't necessarily think it's it's completely at odds with this per right. se. Um I think at best, having heard his full argument, I think at best what he can he can claim is that the experience of free will is not necessary to establish a causal relation in behavior. But I don't know that he can make that next step to say that there is no um, there's no affecting that behavior consciously. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I think this might be some of the places in it. This is me being super not humble because I'm not Sam Harris and I don't have all his fancy degrees or his mind. Um, but it does seem like I, I think he's got a bit of a disconnect in his argument here where he seems to realize that there is a way to shape the direction of the unconscious self consciously. Um, and I, I don't believe it's direct. I do agree that it might be um, a slightly indirect, but I do, I do find it, one of the points that he brings up. Um, and I found personally interesting is I studied Mandarin and he brings up the fact of like, oh, yeah. if he decides to study Mandarin tomorrow, yeah. he can't, he, he probably won't. He can't choose to have that matter more to him than it does. So I think we are capable of helping shape our subconscious come more in line with what that subconscious wants to produce. But yeah, I can't wake up tomorrow and just decide that like ah, NASCAR is the only thing I care about now. Uh, frankly, it doesn't interest me. Like that's, I don't know that I can make myself be interested in NASCAR, but I do think I can do things to help me achieve or realize things that I already find intrinsically interesting or intrinsically valuable. Um, and does that make me free or not free? I'm, you know, I, I seem to be happier when I'm in line with the things I find val valuable. Yeah. But I also recognize that I didn't necessarily determine the thing, those values or yeah. those value judgments. Well, the very last clip that I have, and, and it's still a few clips away, but he defines freedom. And that, that's kind of where we're going to end it today. So you asked the question, okay. am I free? Am I not free? He does say, here is what it takes to be free and to have true freedom, which I thought was really interesting. So we're, we're working towards that. Okay. All right. Next clip here. And, and this next one might be from... It might be from inner size. We'll, we'll find out. If it's not Sam Harris, it's from inner size. Picture a grain of sand. Can you see it? Let me help. It's about the size of this period below. Now, imagine that instead of being a grain of sand, this dot is actually a tiny piece of your brain, just a little speck of what we call gray matter. If you could look closely enough, first, you'd discover this dot is actually made up of special nerve cells called neurons. And this tiny speck of brain, the one that's the size of a grain of sand, can contain as many as 100,000 of these neurons. Look even closer. These neurons are talking to each other, sending signals across connections called synapses. There can be up to a billion connections in that tiny speck alone. A billion. Now, step back. Zoom out and see that instead of one dot, you have thousands upon thousands of these dots accumulating into billions of neurons and trillions of connections. 
These numbers, billions, trillions, are mind-bending in scope. Taken in totality, they make your brain one of the most complex life forms in the known universe. Your brain does a staggering amount of work. It runs all your organs and regulates your temperature. It operates your immune system. It repairs the constant damage done to your body. It also controls your muscles and runs your digestive system. It keeps your heart beating, your eyes moving, your hair growing. It warns you of danger and fights cancer and welcomes in love and pleasure. And that's still just scratching the surface. There is faith, consciousness, instinct, and so much more. It does all of this while you drive a car, think about that great American novel you want to write, and talk through a challenging problem with someone you trust. Everything, from tiny to huge, from the mundane to the epic, your brain does it all, and it does so with a complexity and mysterious elegance that the most dedicated scientists in the world have yet to even begin to understand. And it's <laughs> it has been so uh, paradigm-shifting to me to read that book, um, Inner Sides. I, I love the way that he describes this little grain of sand size that has a hundred thousands of neurons in it. And then there's billions and trillions of those inside of our head. And like every single experience of our life, that's really what it is. It's neurons that are firing. So like what, what, what I'm doing right now, what I'm looking at my computer screen, looking at your face as you're sitting in DC and I'm sitting in Arizona, <laughs> you know, um, I'm really just interacting with my own mind. That's all it is. That's these neurons that are in here. Like it's my brain that I'm, that's, that's generating this image that's based on all of this technology that has extended, extended our nervous system through the internet. It's really amazing what we've been able to do, but it's the brain that processes it. And if I was able to put on a pair of glasses that allowed me to see the world through the eyes of a butterfly that has more rods and cones. I would see something very, very different than what I'm seeing here. If, if I was um, using sonar like a bat or I had some kind of thermal sensing system like a snake and, and that's what was going into my brain and translating an image, I would be experiencing something very, very, very different here. And most of that is this deterministic it's, it's biology, it, it, it's all of these filters on what we're experiencing. So I, I think that Sam Harris would say, yeah, you know, we, we, we are interacting with our mind and, and what comes up in our mind is determined by everything that came before it. And we're not choosing it. Like I, 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 I didn't choose the number of rods and cones in my eyes. You know, I, I didn't choose the biology, my, my genetics. I didn't choose the way that I'm filtering this experience of reality that I had. I, and I couldn't just flip a switch and have it be something different. I'm constrained by these different layers of filters that I have in my, my brain and my sensory perception. Um, anyway, I just said a lot there because it, I, I just find that so, so fascinating. And we don't talk about it. <laughs> people don't talk about, people aren't interested 
in this. They'd rather talk about whatever the thing is that we're all outraged about instead of we're all yeah. like, this stuff is amazing. And, and the question, how much control of this do we really have? How much influence of this experience do we really have? I, I and again, I, I said it before, one of the reasons that I take issue with some of the things that I think that Sam's saying in this is because I think he's saying you don't have any influence. You, you don't have any control. You can't shape your experience of reality. You can't do anything to create a greater sense of peace of mind. It's just like whatever happens, happens. Whatever arises, arises, and you don't have any control over it. Um, I, I, I don't think that's really what his argument, I think his argument is just like this idea of free will isn't really free will. So neener, neener, but <laughs> right. I, th I, and I think, I think he does get to that point of, if you can surrender to it, that's, that's, you know, there's a freedom in surrendering to it. Um, I highly recommend his wife actually wrote a book on consciousness called consciousness and it goes it, the, it, the hard problem of consciousness, specifically the essay, what's it like to be a bat, which I, you were kind of touching yeah. on there of, yeah. um, we are so determined by the, the wave vibrations that our sensory input has been calibrated to pick up and how our conscious experience could be so totally different if we were just tuned to different frequencies like a bat might be, yeah. um, or, or, it, Try try some ayahuasca sometime, right? Put, yeah. put a little put a little, put a little DMT in your brain for a while and see see what happens. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I I definitely agree. and this is kind of why I'm having fun nerding out about this because yeah, so few people. I'll be sitting at a bar like talking to somebody and I'm like, let's talk about consciousness, and they're like, well, the Republicans did this today. I'm like, I don't care about that. Let's talk about the craziness that is like my eyes even like converting wave or lengths into a a, a sensible picture. Like that's crazy to me. I, I no, I love this kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, yeah. All right, so Don and I see you've come on video. Are, do you have something you want to say? No, I think that was on accident. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't say what it is that I saw because I don't want to embarrass you. But all right. <laughs> well, we left us off on our journey, which was a little frightening is that we had learned that you're in there. Now, this is Michael Singer from the, the, the Path to Surrender. You experience the world as it comes in, but that wasn't quite enough. As it came in, you had to digest it. It had to pass through you. You had to embrace it and imbibe it. And that's not always so easy. And so what Will ended up doing, your assertion of Will, was to push away some things and cling to other things seemed like an innocent thing to do, but where it left you was with these patterns stored inside your mind. This just becomes a mental panorama, just like if you have superimposed images on your TV screen, it confuses things, becomes distorted. So you've held these things that weren't able to pass through, and the next step we talked about, which made it worse, is since you have so many of those, and they are by definition charged, they're charged with like and dislike. That's why you did them, right? Because at first it was just a sense of a little bit comfortable or not comfortable. Now, because you held a specific image, it became something you like and something you don't like. And so you started looking for what you like and started trying to avoid what you don't like. And everything that came in started stimulating those things. Now, I, I wanted to bring in a, a clip from Michael Singer um, 
living from what, what was it called? It's uh, living from a place of surrender on on Audible, and I read this about a year ago, and it it just um, I don't know if that clip really communicated what it is that I want to communicate with this, but he's basically talking about the experience of living your life, and forming a set of filters in your mind that determine what your experience of life is going to be because there's certain things that you like and so you're like oh i need to have more of that oh i want to hold on to that i don't ever want to let go of that and anytime somebody like tries to take it away from you yeah i don't want that you know and, and it's kind of, you want to hold on to it you want to cling to it or there's things that you don't want get that away from me i don't want it to have anything to do with that oh get, get, don't break you know that we have these experiences and that as a result of doing that, that, that is this, this charged record in our mind that then anytime we come across something similar, we'll remember, oh, no, I, I don't like that. I'm going to avoid that. Oh, I, I like that. I want that. And there's, there's this very complex layer of filters in our mind that filter everything that's coming in from the outside world that, that tells us. And this, I'm not saying that this is part of free will that we are choosing it, but that there's a little, there's a little decision point. Do I want this thing? Do I not want this thing? And that by, by making that choice, red pill or blue pill, it is stored in our memory system. It's stored in our subconscious mind and it's valenced by emotion that we know this is something that we like, or this is something that we don't like. And then that becomes this deterministic you know, as the table is set in future things, those decisions that we made previously come back to us in the form of our preferences, what we like, what we don't like. He calls them samskaras. He's talking about this, this samskara that we have that um, is all of these different micro choices that we've made and ways that we feel about things. And I, and I'm perfectly comfortable saying that maybe even most of those are outside of our ability to choose what it is that we want or not. Maybe some of them, we just, I don't know why I don't like that. I just don't like it. But sometimes it's like, okay, do you, like I remember the first time I went to Japan to have sushi and I didn't really want to have raw fish. That just seemed kind of gross to me, but I didn't, I didn't want to be a wimp either. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And then I ended up liking it and I love sushi. So I, I feel like I could have gone either way on that. But I, but here's one of those, I could have had chocolate ice cream. I chose vanilla, you know, like I didn't, I ended up, I, I made the choice that I made. So is it really fair to say I could have made a different choice? I don't know, but it sure seems like the result of me making that choice then informed future choices as well. And, and anyway, does it make sense what I'm saying, Eric? Yeah, no, it, it actually makes perfect sense. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting, too, because I, I, I like that you brought up, you know, I didn't really want to try raw fish, but I also didn't want to be, you know, non-adventurous or, or I can't remember the exact yeah, word you a wimp. used. Yeah, and, and the other missionaries that are like, oh, yeah, this guy, this, this new greenie, we're going to initiate him. We're going to give him something right. gross to eat. And I'm like, oh, I'll show them. <laughs> right. And But that's a that's a value judgment that you and maybe going back to the the free will thing is like, did you choose to have which value judgment would beat out. You had two competing value right. judgments in that moment. And at least. Uh, there might yeah, have been least, more. at least there's probably so many that may have been happening under the surface that you yeah. weren't even aware of. Those were just yeah. two that popped into mind. 
And one of the things that I found really interesting about that clip is, um, so I went from going back to that, the, the traumatic brain injury, I went from having all of my likes and disliked filters reset. All of a sudden I, I went from, I really like, um, I, I, I liked, re I really liked chocolate cake. And then all of a sudden I liked vanilla, like just completely rewritten. And one of the things that, and if there, in my mind, if there is a freedom, it is in the awareness of things. What I recognize is the awareness of who I was before, the awareness of who I was after, after all these value judgments that consciously and unconsciously got completely rewritten in my brain, that awareness was still the same. It still had the same quality. I still was able to... Um, recognize it and associate with it or, or feel like it was a part of myself. The awareness never changed, but the value judgments did change um, after that, that brain injury. And so I do, I, yeah, I found that very interesting because that's, and it's interesting to me with Sam, I, he doesn't really go necessarily that route. And I, I kind of wanted him to, because I do think that, if there is a way for us within this very deterministic factors that we cannot control, I think the first step is just being aware of it in the first place and I, I, retreating back to that aware space. And um, again, I've, I, I did have that experience of waking up a different person, but still uh, um, recognizing a piece of myself as that awareness that was kind of behind it all. Yeah. All right. Next clip. The experiential you the conscious witness of your inner life, the one who's hearing these words right now. You aren't the author of your thoughts, intentions, and actions. Rather, thoughts, intentions, and subsequent actions simply arise and are noticed. Tomorrow's ground is a foundation laid down by decisions that I make today. Thoughts, intentions, and subsequent actions simply arise and are noticed. Tomorrow's ground is a foundation laid down by decisions that I make today. All right. So, yeah, I got that little Jason Mraz uh, song in my head that, that came into my mind, popped into my mind just deterministically as I was listening <laughs> to that Sam Harris clip. So I wanted to communicate that, too. You know, he, he uses words like simply. They simply arise mm -hmm. from nothing, and you didn't have any control over it. I, ah! Like, I, I, I agree with what he's saying, that the conscious agent isn't the sole author, maybe even not the predominant author of the thoughts and feelings that are coming up in the moment. But the things that I did in the past that my brain stores in my deep stored subconscious that then become the programs that filter the information that come up, I put them in there. My, my choices, like I influenced what I'm carrying around on my head. Every place I've gone, every conversation I've had, it's stored in there. And there's times where I can choose to go to this place or choose to go to that place, choose to have this conversation, choose to avoid it. Like I, They don't just simply arise in a vacuum of me not having influence over what I expose my brain to. Right. And I, I don't know, because he does go on to later say that it's not that choices don't exist and that they don't matter. I think the idea that you're the author of said choices is what he's trying to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and that's, that's the other thing too, is like, how do you really pin down the you that was you that chose 
to make all of the decisions that would eventually lead you to a circumstance where you would be in the future choosing something based off of those choices. And what, and what does he mean by author? Because again, re remember I asked you about your hair. Right. <laughs> who's, who's thinking your thoughts if it's not you? <laughs> right, it's a, right, right. It's arising from you. You know, it's mm -hmm. not the conscious you. It's the big circle unconscious you, but it's still you. Right. And I, I think he's making the argument or I think he's presupposing that people who believe in free will are making the argument that if it didn't arise, if it wasn't a conscious decision that you were in control of, therefore it isn't you doing it. I think that's kind of what he's doing. But I, I agree with you on this one where it is still me, even think, if I'm not conscious of it. I think he's he's really thinking about people who use the, the idea of free will to justify magical thinking. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And, and I do think, uh, again, the, the, I, I view him as a targeted, he, he, he's, it's targeted reasoning. He, he does definitely have an audience in mind. And I think I kind of agree with you. If you go back through his previous works, you know, especially going back when he was going, um, kind of arguing against religious fundamentalism and a lot of religious uh, thinking that was very politically popular in the 2000s or the aughts. Um, I think he still has that as his target in mind, but I don't know if that's representative of how most of us think outside of those circles. And so because he's employing his reasoning with a very specific target that he doesn't outline at the beginning of this conversation, he's almost painting as a free will within the container of what his target would, um, what he believes his target would believe it to be. And he's not allowing it to be open to a more uh, people who have more, a more nuanced approach to it, which is just because it wasn't a conscious thing didn't mean it wasn't arising from me there's only one end zone eric and you're either going to go in with sam or you're going to get stopped at the one yard line or <laughs> oh i'm so i'm so bad at that i am uh oh yeah i am 100 percent love living in nuance and uh gray yeah. I, i'm not a big black and white person yeah you're not going to score any points on the five yard line mm -mm. yeah field goals aside okay <laughs> let's go on to the next clip but if you pay attention to how thoughts arise you'll see that they simply appear, quite simply literally out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And you're not free to choose them before they appear. That would require that you think them before you think them. So here's the question. If you can't control your next thought, if you can't decide what it will be before it arises, and if you can't prevent it from arising, where is your freedom of will? Everything is just happening including your thoughts and intentions and desires and most deliberate actions. It's just happening, Eric. Where's your, where's your will? Right. Where is it? I, I don't necessarily disagree with him. I, d I do do a lot of meditation. I have sat there and been like, where did that thought come from? Why is that popping up? And I have noticed in my brain patterns that... So, so you agree it's coming from nowhere? It's not, no, 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 not that's coming from nowhere. I do re recognize it's coming from me. From who? In a, from me in a broad sense of me, my subconscious. In the true you know. sense of you. Yes, I, I believe so. Yeah. And I, I, I really do think we might have hit on it. I, I, I see him almost 
target the person who pops into my mind who would probably best encapsulate this the notion of free will that i think he's trying to pick apart i could imagine ben shapiro and hopefully i don't get flack for you know mentioning ben shapiro but i can almost imagine the the ben shapiro you know um paradigm of you know conscious agents and people who are aware of all of their actions and just choose to do the wrong thing and just choose to i maybe that's his target but yeah i do i do find it interesting where he says it's coming from nowhere but he's not he's not recognizing that i know he believes in the subconscious he has to be so he and he did mention earlier or in some of his previous works he he does talk about um consciousness as being both the part that you're aware of and the part that you're not necessarily aware of yeah. it is interesting that he it's almost like he severs it off to, to and you know we're reading into maybe the subtext of what he's saying he it does kind of sever it off of if it's not conscious therefore it's not me it, it does feel like he's putting up that divide um which i think is an unnecessary divide um it's, there's a I bit of a surrender confusing. yeah i think it's really confusing and then and then the absolute absolutist language that he uses especially in that last clip like it's arising out of nowhere and you can't think it before you think it like what you can't consciously think it before you consciously think it but what you're what you're consciously thinking is something that's coming from your subconscious neural pathways that are there as a result of where you have been at different places and times in your life and what you've been exposed to and that can be a result of you getting up and walking from one room to another or getting in a car and driving to another place or turning on the TV and listening to this thing, flipping the channel back in the days where there was radio, or, you know, like listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, these different choices that we make that put things into our subconscious that then, yes, there are some constrained things that uh, as a result of that being there, then it could come up later. Um, unless you're super magical Eric 2.0 and you just learn how to play the piano without having any experience in the past. And there are people who do things like that, like you did that, that that's, how do you explain that with uh, the, the, the thoughts that just arise? It just simply arises. There's no explanation for it. It just simply arose. I have no idea how to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. And I think, I think another thing that he's doing is he's, it's the, um, at a certain point, I mean, we all, we all have to do this. Like we, there's the part of you that is not necessarily responsible for your circumstance. And I think he leans heavily on that in this, this part where he's. But again, it's not all or nothing. Like, yes, you didn't choose to, to, you right. didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose to be born Mormon. You didn't choose to be born in the United States. You didn't choose to be born in this point in time. But that doesn't mean just because you didn't choose those things doesn't mean that you didn't choose to listen to this podcast or not. Right. You know, like you did choose to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Everybody Grant, who's listening I, did. And a, unless a Google unless, search was very helpful. So unless maybe your Google spouse is it. like forcing you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> or your friend is like, why did you want me to listen to this? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I believe it's not all or nothing either. And he, he does, again, it's, it is kind of funny. I do think this is a blind spot of his. He does tend to lean into that black and white thinking um, that he often levies against his, his, um, the people that he debates with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it is. It does feel a little all or nothing. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. All right. I think I've got two more clips. Let's see. Everything is just happening on its own. Now I say pick a film, 
and there's this moment before anything has changed for you. And then the names of films begin percolating at the margins of consciousness, and you have no control over which appear. None. And really, none. None. Can you feel no. that? You can't pick them before they pick themselves. They pick themselves. I mean, someone else might as well be whispering the names of films in your ear for all that you did to summon them. And the same can be said for the process of choosing among the candidates that do appear. Even if you go back and forth between two choices for an hour, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you can't know why you stop on the one that you finally choose. So ev everything that he's talking about there to, to me, Eric, is the relationship between the conscious and the unconscious mind. You know, and so, yeah, I'll, I will grant that you don't know why you chose what you chose, you know, in this thought experiment of pick any move me, you know, pick any movie, think of any movie, go ahead. Now, you didn't really have freedom to think of any movie, right? Because you haven't seen every movie. You've only seen the movies that you've seen. And the ones that kind of popped up, you don't know why that came up instead of other ones that you've seen. You didn't choose that. You didn't control that. Okay, which you are we talking about right here? It, it might as well be somebody whispering things in your ear, but it's not, is it? There's not another person out here that's whispering anything. It's your subconscious mind that's containing all of that information that for reasons that are mysterious to us, absolutely, we don't know, pops into your consciousness. But that's you communicating with you. That's not you yeah. didn't do it. Yeah, I know. I, I found this part really interesting, too, because the movies that popped in my head were just really strange. Like the, the first one was Train Spotting. I've never even <laughs> seen Train Spotting. Yeah. Never seen it. I have no idea what that movie is about. I think it's about heroin. I don't yeah. know. Some, for some reason, it popped into my mind. I could not tell you why it popped into my mind at all. Yeah. Um, and and then I was sitting there. I'm like, you'd think it would be like your, one of your favorite movies, but instead it was Train Spotting. What does that say? You know. But I still and I refused to do. I refused to do it. I just like I didn't have any movies pop into my mind because I just put up this wall of resistance in what I was hearing. I'm like, you know, actually, I'm not going to play with this. That's where my <laughs> will is in this. Well, you could choose to do that, but then you have to ask who's the you that is choosing. Yeah, it was just like somebody was whispering to me, "Don't do it, don't do yeah, it." I think that was the. I think that was Satan. And yeah. Usually, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is definitely. It, it is an interesting thing, but I again, I I I fall back on the kind of the Jungian paradigm of the 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 conscious and the unconscious, or the um, Jung dif differentiates it between the version one of himself and version two of himself version one was kind of more aligned with his conscious mind um this is going into dreams and reflections he he talks about the part of him that was actively engaged in the world and concerned about kind of you know terrestrial affairs we'll go with and then there was the version uh, the him too that he felt was much older much wiser much yeah whatnot. That but yeah, but he, he kind of identified as like thought that that was another life that he was tapping into that. Oh, absolutely. Too. He did. Yeah. I mean, he was super into the paranormal yeah, and yeah. I, he's a fascinating dude. But yeah. yeah, it is interesting to me that Sam doesn't seem to grant himself that it was still him, you know, in some level. I, I, I think he is there. There's a Nietzschean quote that it's like a, most philosophy reads as personal confessions of the philosopher who espouses it and i think in this case it's here is clearly somebody who's very terrified of if he's not in control then there's no control whatsoever type yeah. of thing i think in this case it, it does say a little bit more about him than it does about the nature of reality because yeah. 
for me, it was really easy to be like, yeah, that's my subconscious, you know? And, and I, I think that he wants to hammer that point home to people that you are, that there is much more going on that's outside of the control of the conscious egoic self than you would, Mm -hmm. than you like to think. And it scares you to think that there's things that are going on outside of the control of the conscious self. And so I'm going to indulge in scaring you with that. A little bit. I, I, I think to play devil's advocate for him, one of the things I do like about this is if we look at it as more of a thought experiment and not a one-to-one mapping of reality, I like the implications that taking this approach will would have on things like um, our criminal justice system. It, it does, to me, provide a space for a much more empathetic approach towards um, people who have broken laws and things of that nature and recognizing that it wasn't that the person who hurt you necessarily consciously chose to hurt you. It may have been faulty wiring. I, I, I like the thought experiment, or not the thought experiment, but the example of the gunman who shot those 14 people and killed his mother and wife. And then it turns out he did have a brain tumor pressing on his hypothalamus. Um, I, 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 so I, I think this, the paradigm that he's trying to argue for as a tool for how we approach empathy, I do find value in. But again, the the absolutist kind of thinking um, maybe sours it a little bit for me. I, I think maybe there's a little new, more nuance there. Yeah, you, you didn't like the argument, the devil made me do it. So I don't know why you would like the argument, the tumor made me do it. Um, and, in that, and, and to, and to yeah. take, again, to take that case where the serial killer in what, 1961 or 64, whenever it was, went on this rampage at the University of Texas and was shooting everybody up. And he was saying, if you recognize that all of these things were deterministic and it was really outside of his control, he had this tumor that was press, pressing on his fight or flight response the whole time. His behavior is totally unpredictable and it's being determined by this tumor. So we, it should be easier for us to forgive him. I, I appreciate the it's easy, you know, we should forgive people, <laughs> you know, I like that. Yeah. But but to to exculpate personal responsibility for somebody who goes on a killing spree, I there isn't anything that I'm aware of that would make me think that there's if you have a tumor that's right there on your hypothalamus, then you, you know, you're gonna kill your mom and your wife and people at the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. You got no choice. He, right. he, he knew enough to write the letter ahead of time just you know uh, anyway so yeah i think I, the I, reason i'm sympathetic to it is that again i, I severe brain dra- trauma i did wake yeah. up another person and in some respects i i got lucky the person i woke up as didn't feel like going and killing people at a yeah. university of texas i mean so I, I i'm sympathetic to it um and I don't know that he's arguing that we're just completely removing responsibility in the sense of there's no consequence. I think using, using you know, the state um, to enforce um, consequences is a good way of deterring behavior. But, hmm, there, but, but I do he think also there's gave that example there. of like the bear, you know, like like this this friend of his who, um, if I remember the story right, the there was somebody who killed his father and he had a chance to like kill the guy, but he turned him over to the police. And then he got out of jail within a year and he was out on the street. And this guy lived the rest of his life thinking, Oh, I could have had justice on this guy that killed my father, but instead 
um, I made this choice that let him free and, and that choice ate at him for the rest of his life. And, and Sam Harris says, well, if, if it wasn't a guy that had murdered his dad, but it was a, a wild bear that had attacked him, he wouldn't feel the same way about him because you don't look at a bear as having the same kind of free will that a human would have. And so we judge a human differently than we would judge a bear because you expect that a bear would kind of maul a person without calculating, you know, thought about it. But you expect a person would a human being would show some humanity and not do it. Um, and so if you can think of things as being deterministic, that there were causes that just arose that weren't the responsibility of the person who did it, it was just there, that then you can reduce the amount of responsibility and reduce the amount of judgment that you have towards other people. And I, I do like the idea of not being so judgmental of other people and taking into think, hey, there's probably factors here that you don't understand that influenced why they did that. So let's let's pause on the outrage and the indignation and explore this a little bit more. I, I appreciate that. But I, I still can't get on board with people aren't responsible even within their constrained limits of, yeah. of what's what's uh, what's possible. I guess, and here's a, a kind of I, I I I've got a question for you on that one, which is um, sociopaths. Hmm. You know, they're born with um, you know the lack of mirror neurons, hmm. um, from what we understand, and their ability to empathize is little to none. Um, they're not necessarily responsible for being born that way. Um, and many, but not all, and I wouldn't even say the majority, there are high functioning sociopaths who live their lives, but many do go on to do horrific things. And do we, do we, as a society, obviously we want to put protections around ourselves you know we can't have them just wandering the street if they've shown a propensity for violence and whatnot but when it comes to judging their personal responsibility and now this is this is independent of circumstances you know some a lot of sociopaths are just born that way at least according to our our, our best research um, we've yet to find a, a a good way of showing a choice was made in being that way um how do you feel in that kind of situation? I mean, it is, they didn't choose to be that way, but they are also a danger to either themselves or others. You know, do you, do you feel that there's like a, a bright line with your empathy where you still feel there's some personal responsibility that they have or kind of what do you do with that? I, I mean, I, I think you, I, I think you have to take every case on a, uh, on its own merits. And in, in this case where you're saying somebody was born with these particular constraints that has to be weighed into the decision, you know, and then what, what did they do with it? How, how, why were they high? Why are some high functioning and some not high functioning? Why do some murder people? Why do some not murder people? What's, what's going on with it? I mean, um, that they don't have, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know enough about sociopaths to really comment on it. Yeah. And I do, Sam did do a thing here where he said there are a lot of paradoxes once you adopt this kind of mindset that do arise that need to be further fleshed out. And I think this might be kind of what he's hinting at is this is a, it's a, it's a hard question. I, I, I don't fully have the answer either. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Determinism isn't fatalism. Choices, reasoning, discipline, all of these things play obvious roles in our lives despite the fact that they're determined by prior causes. 
People sometimes ask, well, if there's no free will, then why are you trying to convince anyone of anything? People are just going to believe whatever they believe. Your very effort to convince them that they don't have free will is proof that you think they have it. Again, this is confusion between determinism and fatalism. Reasoning is possible, not because you're free to think however you want, but because you are not free. Reason makes slaves of us all. To be convinced by an argument is to be subjugated by it. It's to be forced to believe it, regardless of your preferences. There's a lot in that clip. Yeah. yeah. Eric. Um, the, 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 first, the first part where he was talking about choices and reasoning obviously exist. They obviously play a role. I was glad that he acknowledged that. But then he said that they're holy. I think he said holy or completely. Or it was one of those absolute words. Mm-hmm. Determined by prior causes. But that's not fatalism. That's determinism. Where, where do you see the difference between fatalism? And please don't talk about Descartes. I won't. I promise. <laughs> Sorry, you guys already suffered through enough. I, I, have so, I, I probably lost like most of the viewers the second. I, I have like two people I can nerd out about philosophy with, and I've noticed that it is a very select pe- group of people. Most people who do not want to go that rabbit hole. I think with um, fatalism and determinism, I can. I think I can see the distinction he's trying to make, and just because it is determined doesn't mean it was fated. I, I think he's arguing that it wasn't pre-written what you were going to do necessarily, but the causes leading up to it determined how you would interact in the very specific circumstance that you found yourself in. I think that's where he's trying to go with it. I, I think he's trying to deconstruct, or um, he's not trying to appeal to the, the uh, idea of a, a grand author of this like uh, maybe he's trying to push back against some of the christian conception of and this is going into um um protestant a certain like calvinists and whatnot thought everything predetermination. was predetermined yeah, yeah i think he was trying to to brush that aside to make a distinction between determinism and predeterminism or fate yeah right yeah. right 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 um no i think it, i think what he's saying is based on your preferences, you are always going to choose chocolate, but you weren't fated to choose chocolate. I know that's not, Ooh, I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what to make with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, and then the second part that he said about, you know, why, why would you argue that people should change their mind or think differently? I, isn't that proving is like, no, that's just, you're just confusing determinism for fatalism again, but he didn't explain why, and I didn't totally buy it. You're just confused. If you're if you're if you're a critic, if you're giving that criticism to me, you're just confused. I I don't understand because that sounds like a, a pretty legitimate critique to him. If if you're talking about these things are are determined and you don't really have a choice, then what what good is it? to try to get people to not believe in QAnon if they already believe in QAnon or, you know, like what, whatever other mm-hmm. pet causes that he's talking to people about and trying to sway them one way or the other. I think, I think maybe what the distinction he's making is you didn't choose to find yourself in the circumstance in which you would be inundated with QAnon conspiratorial thinking. No, you just, you just went to the website where all that information well, is, but you didn't choose or to Or Facebook, um, Twitter, 
YouTube fed you continual um, videos on it. That's yeah. actually probably more accurate at this moment. Um, but but, I but but you still choose whether you can like I get fed shit like that all the time. I don't engage with it. I don't either. But I'm also oh, I but, I have a steady job. I have, you know I'm what older. I mean. Like that's true too. It, right. There's a lot of people, and it's not even that you necessarily know that you're engaging with it. it it's not like it feeds you a, a, a video. There's been a lot of studies on how people were um, radicalized for um, the Islamic State. At first, it started out as the first couple of videos that YouTube was feeding them were what seemed like very in line with mainstream Islam. And slowly but surely, the YouTube algorithm actually learned to slowly increase the extreme part. To turn up, to turn up the heat on the turn boiling up. frogs. Exactly. And that's actually, that is actually how the algorithms of most social media work. I, I do, I, I am kind of sympathetic to Oh, I'm going to get flack for that. Little sympathetic to people who find themselves into. Well, you're a Chinese spy anyway. You've got, you I know, right? Like I've already given away. I, that's it's that's all Eric 3.0, the Chinese right. spy. I need to move to 4.0. That's uh, yeah. another head injury will be good. Yeah. Um, so I do have a little bit of um, empathy, but I think what he's saying is he didn't, you didn't choose to find yourself in the circumstances, but you still are capable of making a choice, but the choice may be informed on the, by previous circumstances. So I want to, I want to, I'm going to rewind that because I want to listen to the second yeah. half of that again. Hang on. By it is to be forced to believe it. Oh, so about reason. Yeah. Yeah. Your very effort to convince them that they don't have free will is proof that you think they have it. Again, this is confusion between determinism and fatalism. Reasoning is possible, not because you're free to think however you want, but because you are not free. I don't Reason believe. makes slaves of us all. Reason makes slaves of to us all. To be convinced by an argument is to be subjugated by it. Subjugated by is it. Is to be forced to believe it. Forced to believe it. Regardless of your preferences. So what, what does that say about... Um, cognitive dissonance oh, that's where, a good you, uh, where you believe that it's unhealthy to drink but you just keep doing it right you believe that it's unhealthy to eat the way that you do you really really truly believe it you really really know that you should be doing better but you don't you're like you're you're convinced that this is the right way to be but you just haven't developed the habit to do it like i i no, that's a valid, that's actually, I didn't even think about that. I'm going to give you a, I'm giving you a gold star on that one. Cause I, I, that is a very excellent point. And I, I think again, we're going to critique Sam Harris a little bit. I think he has a tendency for rhetoric over. Yeah. yeah and in this clip, I, I am somewhat sympathetic to, he said in certain circumstances of my life, like for instance, I didn't choose necessarily like i would have liked mormonism to be true if i'm being like again my life would have been so much easier if it was but i slowly but surely as i researched all that kind of stuff it just kind of came apart like that i i am sympathetic to the idea that being given good information can make that difference but when you're talking about things like yeah the cognitive dissonance of like i know not to eat mcdonald's but some days i find myself in the mcdonald's parking lot I have, I know they've found reasoning. The, I have the statistics of obesity rates. I have, I have all that stuff in my brain as I'm eating this burger and yet I'm still choosing to do it or am I choosing to do it? I don't know. Are you and a slave so, yeah, to reason, Eric? 
I, I don't, I don't know if maybe I am. And I'm just not even aware that it's, that's the ultimate level of slavery, right? If you can convince them they're not even slaves. Yeah, maybe I, I, yeah, no, but you have a very good point. I mean, and then that's, that's, you know, going, going into things like addiction, um, going into things like depression. Did you choose to, you know, I, I know all of the reasons I shouldn't be depressed right now up here. But if I'm experiencing depression, I'm experiencing depression. I, I do think he was overly simplistic on that. Um, well, and, you know, the, the th things like um, Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns, where he's talking about cognitive distortions and the relationship between the thoughts that you think, like, like distortions of all or nothing thinking or mind reading or, uh, you know, all, all of the different distortions that there are. And the feelings of depression and anxiety and fear that can result from that kind of thinking, you, you can go in and, and do some Byron Katie techniques to challenge your thoughts and to ask, is this true? Is this not true? How is this making me feel? Can I change the story? Are there, are there factors about what the, the story that I'm telling, I'm focusing on some details and I'm omitting many, many others. What if I included these others? Well, I might not want to because the story that I want to tell is that I was really um, victimized by this person and maybe they did something, a couple of things that were really nice for me. And so I'm not going to say that because then that would minimize what, the point that I'm trying to make. You know, the, the, you can change the details of the story to have a different impact. And I, I don't know where that, like, I, I know what that's like. I do that. And I, and I don't know in my experience of, of living life where that fits into what Sam Harris is talking about here. Do you, do you consider that a form of reasoning? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. It could be. I, I, I definitely consider it awareness. Like I'm, I'm aware of the thoughts that I'm thinking and I'm aware of the connection that they have to the feelings that I'm feeling. And so kind of like turning, ch changing the dial on a radio station, I'm going to change the story that I'm telling so that it will lift me out of despair. Right. And I, I know that that can happen and I know that I am able to do it. Is that just determined, <laughs> not predetermined, not, not fate, but uh, I, I just don't know where that experience fits into this discussion of free will. But if, if you take, his his rhetoric at face value it sounds like there's no place for it yeah and i i would be interesting how interested in how he defines reasoning would he would he include things like um and not not in a um, pejorative way but things that are kind of more in the self-help vein of you know i recognized i had con cognitive distortions or maybe i didn't even recognize i had them but i went and saw a therapist and they started introducing me to these methods yeah. of challenging those beliefs is that is that a form of reasoning that maybe he's trying to advocate for and he didn't clearly include in that umbrella yeah. and again i think he got lost in the rhetoric if you read the sentence that he said it's a well-written sentence you know what i mean and yeah. i think that is the the major downfall of rhetoric is sometimes the the wordplay can over outshine the actual meaning of what the preciseness of the term or what you were trying to say yeah. and i don't think he was precise enough on that statement um specifically yeah all right, I think this one is the last clip. Okay. Anyone who thinks that two plus two equals five will find no end to his troubles because the world will oppose him at every point, beginning with his own fingers. 
You are part of reality, whatever it is altogether. There is no scope for freedom of will here. The freedom comes in recognizing what the mind is like when you no longer pretend to be controlling experience. That's freedom. All right. Yeah, that is the last clip. So mm. what, what is it that he says that freedom is? Freedom is when you become aware that your conscious mind is not controlling what's arising. But what, what is the relationship to your conscious mind and your subconscious mind? Because I, I think embedded in what he said is that freedom is when you really understand yourself, when you really understand your own mind. You understand the way that your subconscious is interacting with your conscious mind, that your conscious mind does not have control, like direct, immediate, in the moment, I'm going to control you, subconscious mind. But it does have some influence over what is in that subconscious mind. And that'll, that'll come back to either bite you in the ass or reward you or anything in between. Um, but, but real freedom comes when you understand the relationship, when you understand your mind and, and especially understanding what you are able to control and what you're not able to control. That's, that's what I took away from that. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I, I kind of took the same thing away um, to and I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I do think the, the awareness and uh, there's a little bit of surrender in, in recognizing my mind is, is what it is. I mean, I, I am curious with him and I, I do, I think you, I really want to know if he thinks that there is a way to interact with your subconscious or at least channel the direction it's already moving in that, that to me, I find kind of fascinating because he, this whole time he does seem to have that that split of, well, if it's in the subconscious, therefore it's not in your control. And therefore, you know, you're not capable of, of changing anything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do like the idea of, of, you know, becoming aware. I, I almost view it more of a first step though. I think awareness is the first step. I, I don't think I land with him on, okay, I'm just aware now, so I'm happy. And I'm just going to be happily aware as my, my illusion of, of um, free will drags me over the, all over the globe. You know, um, I think it's, it's a bit more of a dialectic. I, I think the two feed into each other. And I think both of them are constantly shaping one another and constantly also responding to environmental factors as well. I, I think it might be a little bit more complicated than just, um, I can't find evidence for the need for free will to explain behavior and therefore free will doesn't exist. And I, maybe that's a little reductive of what he was trying to say, but that's kind of the sense of what I, I think he was trying to get at. Yeah. All right. So we have come to the end of our discussion, Eric. All right. And, and I, this was something that you reached out to me about a week ago, said, I really want to have this conversation. So I want to make sure that you talk about the things that we, you wanted to talk about tonight. No, we definitely did. I know I, I had a blast. And again, I'm, I'm glad that I had somebody to kind of nerd out with about this kind of stuff because I, I drive some of my friends crazy. I'm like, let's talk about free will guys. And they're like, can we talk about the stock market? I'm like, I don't care about the stock market at all. I don't, I don't, I want to talk, you know, so no, I know I, I, I had a really good time. I'm, I'm glad that we got to do this. And some of the points that you raised, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed. I didn't think of some of them and I kind of want to re-listen to this now and just be like, 
Ooh, what does that make me? How does that make me respond? I think one of the things I really, my big takeaway was the, the kind of maybe the, the lure and dangers of, of rhetoric. Um, I would have liked maybe to see him produce this in more of a, a paper format or like a, a kind of philosophical proof as opposed to appealing to rhetoric. Um, because maybe he does have justifications for some of the things that he kind of threw out there that felt unsupported, but, you know, in appealing to the flow of a sentence, the, the language, the, the rhythm and cadence and all that kind of stuff, which we all kind of have gone along with. I mean, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. I mean, we, we all love that line, but like, you know, it's, it's not enough substance to really, I, I think make some of the claims that he's claiming he supported with purely rhetoric. Yeah. And, and I want to reiterate what I said at the beginning of this, that I, I, anything that sounds like I'm critiquing Sam Harris, I, I'm, I'm really just exposing my own response and reaction to what I'm hearing. And that's it. So I like, I, I don't really know what his intentions are. I don't know what his motivations are. I don't know what his proofs are. I, I think I understand some of these things, but even like these clips that I pulled out, they're just a piece of what he, what he said. And, and there might be things that I'm totally missing and totally misinterpreting. It's just, th- this is when, when I hear this discussion on free will, this is my reaction and my response to it and my confusion around some of the ways that he presents it. But that's, that's not him. That's me. Um, the way that I'm expressing it. So I, I, I really want to be careful that I'm not, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have any way of understanding anything, but what has come in through my own physical senses and that I'm processing in my mind. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And I, I think I've said this to you before and most conversations that I approach, I am a hundred percent open to being wrong. I, yeah. I could totally be just completely misunderstanding him. So yeah. I'm also not saying this is the way it is. And, um, yeah, I would love if, if other people have kind of some feedback or maybe they got something outside of it, or I, I would love to see kind of what, how they engage with this material as well. Yeah. Cause again, I, I don't have a monopoly on being right. In fact, I kind of like being wrong cause uh, it's a way to grow. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks Eric. Yep. No problem. Thank you Enjoyed for having it. me. Yeah, me too. And thanks uh, Alan and Sadanan for joining e- either, either of you want to chime in before we totally log off. Uh, no additional comments. Just fascinating that two people could rip on this for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you give me time, I can talk about anything forever. So maybe that's not not as fascinating as you think. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I mean, there's some of me just going to say, so what? Yeah. So what? So what do I do with this now? But um, no, Glenn, I think I might reach out to you in a separate email. Okay. Great. Um, about some other thoughts I've had. I kind of had a my recent little 2.0 lights out experiences. Nice. All got, right. Got me spinning and saying what, what's next. So, no, good, good I, stuff, guys. And, uh, that's I look forward to that. Thanks, Alan. And right. and, and thanks to Don and that he just messaged me that he's at dinner with his family. So say hi to Krista and the kids for me, Sadana. All right. And uh, thanks again, Eric. Yep, anytime. We'll talk later. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. 
you don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob I tune into the scene between the eyes And take a breath Thank you for listening to Infants on Front I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me Never mind the future, never mind what the past be I like to jump and let the universe catch me Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down arms of the night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.